Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of Her Story. In this episode, Dr. Kim Thompson will be joining us today to help us learn more about mental health and mental well-being. She is an assistant professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Associate Clerkship Director for the Family Medicine Clerkship at the Medical College of Georgia, one of the largest public medical schools in the country. Dr. Thompson serves patients with exceptional needs and complex issues, and they range in age from newborn to the elderly. She treats people for acute illnesses, mental health issues, chronic health conditions, as well as routine disease prevention and health maintenance visits. In addition to this, Dr. Thompson has worked on various patient, resident, and student education projects to foster community interest in preventative medicine and health promotion. Recently, at the bequest of the Kentucky Office for Refugees, she has also established and directed one of the seven refugee clinic trials in Kentucky between 2018 and 2020. Her story is lucky to have Dr. Thompson as our first episode's guest. Let's get started. My first question to Dr. Thompson is, how would you define mental well-being? And would you say mental well-being and mental health are one of the same? Well, that's a very good question, Nacha. Um, I think mental well-being and mental health are often used pretty interchangeably, but they are slightly different. You can't really have mental well-being if you don't have mental health. So mental well-being is uh, the way I look at it. It's kind of a feeling, right? You know, if someone asks you how you're feeling, um, it's your conscious um, awareness of how, how you're feeling, how well are you emotionally and psychologically. And it's a component of mental health. It's more our ability to, to understand and experience our own mental health, which is made up of physical and psychological components. So to have true mental health, um, there's this connection between, you know, most people look at it as a connection between body and mind. Um, you know, our experience of our own emotional health can be very um, chemical and it can be very hormonal. It can be very um, environmental. There are a lot of psychosocial determinants to our own psychological health um, and our physical health that together determine how we f- how mentally well we feel. Hopefully that wasn't too many words. Um, no, no, that was perfect. So actually um, on my Instagram, I had done like a small story on whether people thought mental health or mental well-being were like the same or different. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a 50-50 response on it. So a lot of people thought it was the same and there were like equally as much people who thought it was different. So I thought that would be a good question to like clarify um, and right. for people to know more about. Yeah, so, you know, it's a good question. On the surface, does it matter? I don't know. I think just for everyone going about their daily lives, most people think of it the same thing. It's like we, you know, it's like Kleenex, you know, I call tissue right. paper, everything's Kleenex. Right, <laughs> like, right. Excuse me. Um, but when you think about studying it or addressing 
um, issues that impact mental health, mm-hmm. it's important to then really be able to tease out what are the components of mental health. Right. And would you say that mental well-being and like mental health almost go like hand in hand because you need both? Yes. Each yes. Okay. Yes, okay. I think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, my second question was, as a female physician, how do you think women's health and mental well-being slash health, mental health correlates? That's a great question. And I think so little is... Um, or used to be addressed, um, you know, in this, in this area, um, women tend to be traditionally, you know, the stoic, more stoic gender, um, you know, because women have been labeled as too emotional and, you know, that we, we are led too much by our feelings. So when women are really having crises of feelings, um, strong women tend to think they're not allowed to show that. And so I think it's such a disservice to women that we don't address women's mental health more or allow women to be vulnerable in that way to share issues, you know, related to their own mental health. Um, and, you know, really we're le- the more we study it and the more we learn, we realize that gender is really a critical determinant of mental health um, and mental illness. I knew that you wanted to talk about this a little bit today. And I looked back through some statistics um, that were published in 2021 by the World Health Organization and I was really floored. Um, I've worked, um, you know, as a female physician, I've worked with many women. um, And I also have worked in um, community practices that tend to focus a lot on caring for vulnerable populations. Um, For a while um, in another state, in the state of Kentucky, um, I directed a, a refugee clinic as well. And so I've seen a lot of people who've been impacted by personal trauma, environmental trauma, Um, And it's a huge burden. So these statistics um, just from 2021 um, kind of confirmed that gender differences occur particularly in the rates of the more common mental disorders such as depression and anxiety. Um, and, and some of the more what we call somatic complaints. Um, and these disorders are, you know, women predominate, and it seems like they affect approximately one in three people in the community, um, you know, which we know constitutes a really serious public health problem. And just depression in and of itself um, is twice as common in women. Um, And again, this is a statistic from 2021. Um, And it's not only the most common women's health mental problem, um, but it also tends to be more persistent in women than in men. And part of this is because women do not um, seek help because there's such a stigma surrounding this. Um, And the other thing that I wanted to highlight is that um, the disability associated with um, mental illness also falls most heavily on people who experience more than one type. And again, who are those primarily? Those are women. Um, And, you know, I thought about why is this? And some of it falls back to historical power dynamics in society. So gender determines the differential power and control that men and women have had over the socioeconomic determinants of their own 
health, including their own mental health, um, you know, their social position in life, their status and their treatment in society, um, and their susceptibility and exposure to specific mental health risks. So, you know, this we see in our own society, um, and it is seen even more so in other countries and in developing nations. So it's a huge, not just a problem in our country, but a global issue for women's health. Right. So um, another thing that I kind of want to like go into about like what you had said, actually, was do you feel that it's kind of like looked down upon to go ask like like to go get a therapist or like to do like things to address your mental health is kind of like looked down upon in our like society nowadays or I think it is it certainly was when I was growing up and in our parents generation um, and in certain cultures you know there are big differences in what women expectations are of women. Um, you know, women are really expected to be able to do it all, um, to take care of the family, to, um, to, to nurture the family, to now have careers and be successful. And it's really hard to do all of that. Um, and, you know, to, to not have moments of vulnerability. And so, you know, especially my generation, if you couldn't do it, you, you know, there was a shame, um, you know, there's something wrong with you, you're just not strong enough. Um, and so, you know, this thing tends to get passed down from generation to generation. So I think your generation is certainly changing the way we look at this, because we're realizing as a society that we have very high rates of mental illness. I think the pandemic really brought that to light. Um, people were shut in with themselves, you yeah. know, and I think a lot of these problems have come more to the forefront and, and the younger generation is talking about it more. And that's how you break down taboos and stereotypes. You talk about it more. You're brave enough to show vulnerability um, and, and, and say, hey, I have this problem and it's okay. Um, so I think the more awareness that we bring, it's like back in, you know, the 80s when we didn't talk about HIV and now, you know, it's totally acceptable to, um, if you, you know, to, to share that, to talk about it, to seek help and not feel as stigmatized. Um, still not there 100%, but, you know, this is what it takes. It takes brave people coming forward, sharing their stories and bringing public awareness. So it's great what, what you're doing, you know, it's, it's every little bit counts. Right, right. So I think that was really what I, I kind of want to know, because I do, I do have like a couple of my friends, um, Indian, American, different like races, and mm -hmm. they, they have said that, yes, like I've struggled with mental health and it was like brought upon in their families that they had to discuss whether a therapist was needed because they mm. personally felt like they did need someone to help advise them and having like a family setting wouldn't be mm -hmm. the correct way to address their mental health. But like a lot of like their, like their parents, like some of them that said, no, just like relax right. and you'll be okay. Right. right. And I just like, kind of want to know more, like whether that was truly something like just relaxing is like the way to go with it. Or sometimes you do need to get a therapist or like someone to help you with your mental health and getting better. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a good question because they're, you know, yes and no. Um, obviously, someone has 
any other kind of illness like diabetes or hypertension, there's a certain amount of behavioral change that you can do that definitely impacts and reverses some of those disease process processes. Um, but maybe sometimes medication is needed. So it's, it, there's no one answer to that. You know, there, there are people who have significant mental illness that has to do with, you know, biochemical, like I said, there's this biological process and psychological component to mental health. And um, there are some things that genu genuinely need medication or psychotherapy. Um, and a family member is not always the one to make that judgment. Um, but I always respect um, families' input. Um, but we have, um, it's, it's, it's a loaded question because a lot of, there's a lot of debate about the, the rising um, numbers that we're seeing in children, for instance, um, with mental illness. So right now, one in five children between the ages of 13 to 18 have or are anticipated to have some type of mental illness before adulthood. That's huge, right? Yeah, Anxiety, yeah. depression, eating disorders, the whole gamut. Um, and so do all of those people need to be in psychotherapy or on medication? No. Um, but some of what we're seeing may be behavioral manifestations of mental illness that aren't necessarily, um, you know, disease that warrants medication. It may be that children, because of the way society is trending towards so much reliance on technology, we're living in artificial digital worlds for hours on end. Um, there's less you know, physical activity and more, you know, sitting down on a screen and all of this impacts how the brain develops. And part of good mental health is that brain being able to adapt to stressors, to change, to challenges, and for a person to be able to develop psychological resilience. And so I think we're losing some of that in our children. And so we're seeing um, more problems with inattention and anxiety disorders and eating disorders because children have not, um, they've not been able um, to develop those coping mechanisms the way the brain normally learns these things in the natural world. Um, there's so much more, you know, that we have to learn to understand what's going on. But, you know, the, the things that are apparent are that we're having significantly more rates of mental illness in younger and younger people. Um, so as a society, we need to talk about it more. We need to start teaching young children how to deal with stress, um, how to, um, you know, how, how to react and cope to, to challenges that are faced. And um, most of the things that kids do now for um, recreation um, doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, it's all instant gratification and- yeah, Social um, media, TikTok. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. right, right. So what would you say would be some good like tips for like stress and just like mm -hmm. some self-care practices in general so like mm -hmm. to like take away our like 
like take away our brain from like schoolwork, work, and like the constant stress mm-hmm. and overwhelming feeling we normally get? What are some good ways to get ourselves away from that? Yes. So, you know, I think we have to look at mental health and wellness like we look at all aspects of health, right? We know that we're supposed to eat well. Um, We know that we can't just eat sugar all day and expect to be healthy. I think we have to realize that children, especially everyone needs daily exercise. So I always tell my parents um, and my adolescents, especially because they can be stubborn about this, try to get outside for an hour every day an hour of physical activity and not just on elliptical watching the TV screen, (laughs) um, but outdoors, Um, you know, they've been, there've been some studies that have shown that an hour of exercise outdoors can be as beneficial as some traditional forms of treatments for mental illness. Because when you think about it, the physiologic impact on the body and the brain, you know, so many natural hormones that help regulate mood are released when we exercise and we're exposed to light. Um, So that's really important. So whenever I see someone who's suffering stress or anxiety or depression, I always recommend however you can fit it in, this has to be a part of the treatment. It's an hour hour, if you can get to it every day, an hour of exercise a day, and it doesn't have to be all at once. It can be 15 minutes, four times a day, or 30 minutes, two times a day, but getting outside, you know, when you're sitting in a room in your own space, all of your problems seem the end all be all right. But when you get outside, the world is big and you're little and just, there's a different perspective. And I think we are starting to lose perspective because of the way we're living our lives. Um, So that's important. Another, you know, even more accessible, quick thing. um, I, I try to teach my patients to do diaphragmatic Um, diaphragmatic breathing. So deep breathing, basically you sit down in a chair with your back straight, feet flat on the floor, place your hands on your tummy and take a deep belly breath, you know, so close your mouth and take a deep breath in through your nose for four seconds and then slowly exhale for six seconds and then repeat that five to seven times. So four, six, five, or four, six, seven. So deep breath in for four seconds, long, slow breath out your mouth for six seconds. So it's in through your nose, out through your mouth. And as you repeat that, you know, it focuses your attention, calms the body, increases the oxygen circulating to your brain. Um, And that all has a really nice centering effect. Um, and practicing mindfulness and um, just sitting and thinking and reading, um, definitely taking breaks from social media um, <laughs> and, taking, and taking breaks from, from your devices. So we try to tell, you know, what the American Academy of Pediatricians recommends no more than two hours of, of non-essential electronic use every day less is better. (laughs) Um, But when you think about, you know, uh, hybrid schooling and all the Zoom meetings we're doing and um, learn from home and everything's becoming more, um, you know, more 
digitally based. Um, that doesn't leave a lot of recreational time to, you know, to be using your phones or your iPads or whatever. So really kids, kids and adults need to be putting down the devices when they get home and going outside or reading a book or something just, you know, for our own mental health. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much. Um, I definitely learned a lot about mental health and mental well-being as a whole and things <laughs> to do to help your mental health. Well, that wraps up our very first Her Story episode. I hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned for future episodes and follow the official underscore Her Story on Instagram and Twitter. And please let me know your thoughts and suggestions for future episodes to help make your story richer.